0: You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello, and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, As usual, it's me, Jacob, and today I'm joined by a very special guest who I think you've probably heard about in the works or maybe you've read his book, Um, but just for all of those that don't know, uh, today I'm joined by uh, Matt Baker. He's been very kind and gracious enough to to come on and do an interview with us, Uh, and I'll I'll give him a little bit of an introduction. Uh, He's a a professor of mathematics by trade. Uh, He's an associate dean uh, at the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. Uh, He's Won awards for his use of magic in the classroom. Uh, he was voted the Greater Atlanta Area Magician of the Year. Um, I think he's very uh, innovative. Um, his ideas have been published in a bunch of bunch of different places, uh, such as Genie, uh, and he's also the author of the uh, Buena Vista Shuffle Club. Um, so that's quite the introduction. <laughs> but let's let's get to meet him uh, for real. How, how are you doing today, Matt?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks, Jacob. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. Yeah, we we actually found out the other day that we hadn't had our air conditioning vent open in our room this entire time. We were wondering why it was really hot. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a lot better today than I was yesterday. I'll so.
1: do it. That's you you have to open sesame. That's-
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, clearly it wasn't magic enough. But yeah. So uh, let's get started. Um, it is yeah. the cliche question, but uh, I do want to ask it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be able to tell me how did this, this journey and magic start? Where, where did it all begin for you?
1: Well, that's sure is a cliche question. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and I won't yeah. answer
0: it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, when I was uh, writing the introduction to my book, The Buena Vista Shuffle Club, I actually did a little research mm-hmm. into my own past. And right. I found a picture of me at a, my own birthday party and I remember this party very well. We had a magician at the party. But what I didn't remember was how old I was at the time. But I went back. I actually found the original picture in my mom's you know, big box of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I looked on the back and I was four years old. It was my four-year-old birthday party. So we had a magician there. So apparently, <laughs> I got interested at the age of four. I don't know if I was already wow. interested or if that was the first time. But I can actually still picture that magician. And I remember some of the tricks he did. Um, when I was four. So uh, apparently made quite the impression on me. I didn't really get into magic myself until I was about 10. And then I had a cousin who had uh, lived in, he grew up in in, uh, Los Angeles and his um, uncle had uh, membership in the Magic Castle. And so he used to go there a lot and he got into magic that way. He showed me my first real like card tricks, and I was pretty blown away. And he also bought me my first real magic book, which was uh, Harry Lorraine's Close-Up Card Magic. And I then I got like Henry Hayes Amateur Magician's Handbook and a few other of those classic books. And I was pretty hooked. And I started doing birthday parties as a teenager. Uh, so kind of the usual thing. Um, but then I it never occurred to me that was something you could like do seriously, right? Like as a job or as a hobby, as a grownup. So I just kind of stopped um, doing it and concentrated on other things for a long time. But then it kept coming back into my life and I kept realizing how much I enjoyed it. And finally, around the age of 30, I just made a commitment to drop all my other hobbies. I really only had time for one because at that point, um, I had started having kids. Now I have three of those. And Kind of takes away a lot of your free time, uh, so I decided, right. you know, that I would just focus on magic in my spare time, and um, I've been really happy with that decision. It's been great. It's been a great journey.
0: Right. And so, I guess it's interesting, right? Because you you have this combination of of mathematics and magic. I'm interested in it. Mm-hmm. So, where did this? Where did the journey of of it's hard for me we say maths in england so i'm going yeah, to if i, I stumble over my words <laughs> that's
1: that's why for, for um, the listeners though that's yeah. that's the same thing as math
0: <laughs> right yeah, yeah so so for in math right um where where did that journey start for you okay so you have this journey you're starting at like four years old you have this impression and then you really start at 10 with a, a great book uh, that i've heard a lot of people started with um and so where did this journey of 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 maths start for you or math
1: <laughs> uh Well, my first memory of that, I I was a bit of a precocious kid, but not necessarily in math. I -hmm. I know I started reading very early and um, I skipped the first grade, Uh, but I think that was really all for my um, reading and writing skills. So I don't have a memory until third grade of being really interested in math. And then we had Mm -hmm. some kind of uh, math B contest type thing. And I ended up winning it, much to my own surprise, frankly. Um, and you know, the teacher uh somehow was encouraging. And then, you know, within a couple of years, I was taking pretty advanced math classes once I started actually differentiate uh between, you know, different kids. Um right. and I don't know, I just was always re- I just started reading uh math stuff for fun and was pretty good at it. And just always really captured my imagination i guess much in the same way that uh magic did but not for the reasons a lot of people imagine so you know when you study higher mathematics like as you know as a math major or in graduate school or whatever it's really about um ideas about creating things about elegant proofs and um you know, it's not at all about calculation, boring sort of calculations or, yeah, crunching numbers and the, um, the kind of things that people associate with math. Um, that's just the unfortunate way we teach it in schools. But to me, it's very similar to uh, another, you know, any other endeavor like um, like being a magician or being a writer or being an artist or being a musician. They're kind of similar intellectual pursuits in my mind.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I actually, one of my, I have this kind of like list of daily victories that I want to accomplish every day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. one of them that I added to it, uh, recently was to start learning about more deeply about maths and, and physics. Mm. Um, and I started doing this online course. Um, there's this great website called edX. You might've heard of it cause you're in education where you can take courses like kind of like mm-hmm. Harvard and right. other mm-hmm. courses for free. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've started to, I didn't. I didn't go in there with physics. I think I might be a bit out of my depth, but I started to do some kind of like online free courses. Um, yeah, I, I think it is fascinating. I, I guess if you let's say I'm a, a super skeptic of studying of, of studying maths, right, and, and physics. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to someone that is like it's a waste of time? I guess you know because some, sometimes people have that feeling when they're at school. What would you what would you like to say to them if you could be their teacher?
1: Well, I do think. <laughs> To be honest that a lot of the things that kids learn in school are somewhat of a waste of time um, <laughs> okay. no you know, I mean I, I think that's a legitimate feeling so first of all, I would say you know I, I don't insist that they're crazy because they they say that um, I think it's it's not truthful sometimes when teachers say, "Well, this is going to be really useful later in your life," and then they talk about the law of cosines in trigonometry right. or <laughs> you know, some obscure geometric theorem about tangent lines to circles or something. I mean, it's probably not going to be useful later in your life. It might be, (laughs) right? I mean, if you're an engineer or mathematician, a a physicist, uh, it it very well might be. But for most people, uh, it won't be. So does that mean we shouldn't learn it? Um, No, maybe some of those things we just shouldn't even learn and we should learn more practical, modern ideas like I don't know, statistics and data analysis, probability, um, ideas about even number theory, which is what I study, um, is probably more useful than trigonometry in a lot of ways in, in the modern world. But in any case, to me, the reason to study math is, first of all, because it's a beautiful subject. The same reason we study Shakespeare and other great things, because it's just a part of human civilization that is important. The second thing is it really is the backbone of science and you know, computers and all of the technology that makes the modern world possible. The language used is math. Um, so again, even I think it's useful for people to learn about music and music theory, even if they're not going to be musicians, because it helps you appreciate it more and understand the world around you more. And finally, math teaches critical thinking. Uh, if it's taught right, it teaches creative thinking outside the box you know problem solving and it uh it teaches you to actually it's it's kind of humbling in a in a good way for me anyway and for a lot of people who really appreciate math uh because you see that um it's a very vast powerful subject and it's hard and it's hard to learn and i think that uh it's humbling to to just see that this stuff is somehow out there and it's given to us. Uh, I view it as, as a gift that we have the chance to master some of these ideas and apply them to problems in our world. And I think if people would look at it that way, they'd have a very different attitude than having uh, rote memorization of multiplication tables shoved down their throat.
0: Right. So... It's interesting to me, right? Um, um a lot by the way, thank you. That's <laughs> that is a, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And that's exactly kind of the the kind of surprise that I had when I started doing these these math courses that were actually done by people that were teaching it the right way. Mm. <laughs> I I was like, Oh, like this is why I should care. Like, oh, like this is actually interesting, you know, like this is something that I actually interact with in my daily life that I can get behind. So yeah, I think it's
1: yeah, But it's a great it is the responsibility of a of a good teacher to make you care, right? I don't think right. we should put that on students to say well you should just intrinsically care about this thing i shouldn't have to explain mm-hmm. to you why it's interesting or useful no i mean that we don't do that with other things in life right i mean we don't we don't say um well okay i, I think you get the point i'm making yeah, <laughs> <Go on. laughs> yeah. he was gonna ask something else
0: <laughs> no no uh, yeah it's, it's a good point to make i i, I guess like, maybe it'd be like you don't just say like oh you should care about taylor swift like it's <laughs> you have to make somebody care it's a bad example but <laughs> like yeah i, I, go I was going to
1: come up with a similarly bad example <laughs> yeah mate, I, I took the fall for you i understood why it was <laughs> thank math. you yeah yeah
0: um so yeah <laughs> moving forwards um so what is this okay so you obviously have this deep interest for for, for maths or math yeah this is going to be an issue voice podcast um I good like drinking game good drinking game every time i say maths <laughs> take, a, take a shot okay um so yeah um you have this interest. For kids maths. listening
1: at home, take a shot whenever <laughs> yeah. Jake does <says> maths
0: <laughs> of water. Of course, yeah, yes. Um, so, yeah, okay. Professor plus magic. How does that happen? Okay, like what? How do these two things come together? Because I'm I'm assuming mm-hmm. they did. How How did these two interests kind of like, or did they in any way? Like, how? What's the bridge between them for you?
1: Right. Yeah. That's a really. It, it's an interesting question um for me because. I, I've looked at this in different ways throughout my life. Um, I think for a while, I really wanted them to be rather separate, you know, because mm. I think a lot of the things I enjoy about magic, that like many of us enjoy about magic, don't have much to do with math. Cause I really, you know, I appreciate magic for all of its uh, robustness. You know, I, I love psychology and just the theater of it you know storytelling uh watching skillful sleight of hand uh good comedy magic i mean i i like all these things and those don't really interface that much on the on the face of it with math so i tried to keep them a bit separate and uh but then you know i've realized as i've uh changed interests that uh, while I'm still interested in all those things, and I'm definitely not interested in being exclusively a mathemagician, um, I do find that as I'm trying to figure out what my own place is, where I can contribute to magic, right, as a, as an art form, and I do think it's a really special form that needs to be pushed forward and preserved and, uh, and appreciated more, mm. uh, but I you know, so how can I contribute to that? Well, I think uh, my math skills and, and interests are an obvious place, and so I try to work math into some of my presentations, even if the tricks not actually that mathematical. I'll sometimes use that as a hook because it's something that I'm passionate about, and I find that you know anything that someone is sufficiently passionate about, if they can communicate that well and tell stories that people can relate to, um, you can use that as a hook. So, you know, I try to be myself or a more fun, interesting version of myself on stage (laughs) and in close-up magic. And I use the fact that I'm a mathematician uh, as part of the, the way I present what I'm doing. And sometimes that actually ties in with math methods and I'll, you know, justify some procedure that might otherwise seem boring. By couching it in some you know, scientific experiment or as a cool math principle that I even I don't understand how it works. Or there's all kinds of ways that you can tie it in. But in terms of my relationship with the magic community, uh, I think writing a book and releasing a few products and videos and going to conferences and starting to be known better, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't go to my head. I don't do it to be famous, but I do like being plugged into the Community, you know, being asked to do things like this, being invited to participate in um, sessions with really great magicians, uh, you know, being asked my opinion by people I really respect and admire, or having them, they ask me to edit their books. And I think in order to get plugged in like that, you know, you have to offer something different and unique to the magic world. And I think one of the main things I can offer is my ability to really digest pretty subtle and arcane math concepts as they apply to magic, and hopefully come up with creative and interesting, entertaining presentations for those principles. And that, that's become more and more of an interest as I get on in magic.
0: I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website, thedailymagician.com. If you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content just like this podcast, please head over there and sign up now. That's thedailymagician.com. We promise that we won't disappoint you. Yeah, it's almost like a a good motivator as well, right? To get better, (laughs) I find. Like, as soon as I know that I have to perform and I have to perform people that know what magic looks like then I'm mm-hmm. immediately practicing more <laughs> and trying to like work on my method. So, yeah, I, I think yeah, that
1: that's right. I mean, yeah, two, two aspects of that resonate with me. One is that I'm very goal oriented. So right. if I don't have a specific goal in mind, like either a performance coming up or a piece I'm writing for a blog or for a, a book or an article or uh, a a convention, I'm going to go to where I'm, I know I'm going to see, you know, so and so and, um, Without those motivations, I just don't really practice much at all. Um, and I don't focus. So, you know, I play with ideas, sometimes get interesting um, ideas going, but I don't really finish anything unless I have a deadline or a specific project in mind. Uh, and then, yeah, the other, uh, what was I going to say? The other thing that resonated with me about that, um, no, I forgot the other thing. <laughs>
0: Okay, we'll come back. Come back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just
0: to just to jump back for a second about that. Um. Just to jump back to, to before we move in, into into some hardcore magic stuff. Yeah. Um. I do want to come back a little bit to teaching and and all of that. Mm. Um. I'm interested. What do you think? Then, so you've talked about obviously clearly like the differences in kind of what you can say as a teacher and the importance of being a teacher, but I'm interested in a lot of people. I feel like to get really good in magic, it's it's good to have a, a mentor. <laughs> and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people mm-hmm. also that are trying, that are really good at magic, but maybe aren't so good at conveying that magic or teaching it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so what do you think it takes to be a good
1: teacher? Um, yeah. Good teacher of magic or good teacher period?
0: I guess period and then followed by magic.
1: Okay. Well, I think... So for me, what's really important is to connect, you know, with students. So as I was saying before, I don't expect that they're automatically interested in what everything I have to say. I mean, they may, you know, they may be taking a class because it's required and they have no choice. And so they'll take notes and try to learn what I'm saying just because they don't want to get a bad grade. But I try to move them past that. You know, I think I failed if that's the main takeaway a student has is that they just had to take the class. I want to make them see in it what I see and really try to clearly in an engaging way communicate ideas. So, I mean, how do you do that? Well, part of it is just being interested and passionate and knowledgeable yourself, right? So I don't think you can teach other people if you haven't really internalized and Uh, gotten a point of view on on a subject yourself. But also you have to still be able to relate after gaining that expertise, you still have to be able to relate to what it's like to not understand everything. And some people forget that in the Mm -hmm. course of becoming an expert, they forget what it's like to be a novice. And so I try to always keep that in mind. And then also to relate personally, because we're not teaching computers here, maybe someday we will be, but You know, I like teaching people (laughs) and uh, people sometimes are very interested in something, but they can't concentrate on it because, you know, they're going through stuff in their personal life and whatever, or they just need different motivation. They need something explained differently than what you're saying. You just have to be able to adapt to that, to sense it. You have to be able to, you know, relate to other people and get these points across uh, in that way. And also, I think it's important to be personable. And you don't have to be funny, but it helps sometimes to bring tension down when um, people are nervous about an exam or something, you know, so I make a lot of jokes in my classes and I just want to make the students like me, not because I need that as, um, you know, as an insecure person, but just because I think they'll learn the subject better if they admire the teacher, right? And I think it's the same thing with watching magic performances, um, there are some very skilled magicians who do really interesting things that I just don't like watching because don't like their stage persona or, you know, I don't like their character, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and some of my favorite magicians maybe aren't the most technically uh, dynamic and amazing people on Earth, but they're just so much fun and, you know, so engaging and interesting to watch. And that's what makes something memorable. So if I want students to remember what I'm telling them 20 years from now, and I do have students, I just had a student who took my class 10 years ago, barely remembered him. I did once we met up, but we met up for lunch the other day and he told me how much my class made an impact on him. And now he's running a startup company doing some kind of cryptography stuff. And he Mm. wanted my thoughts because he really, you know, respected me and still thought of me as someone he wanted feedback from like 10 years after taking my class and he got like a C in my class or something. He wasn't (laughs) actually one of my best students, but I apparently made an impression on him and you know, that's great to hear Uh, and uh, teachers do like that kind of feedback. So uh, as for magic, I think it's pretty much all the same things. that I just explain where I was more thinking in the context of being a, you know, a math teacher or a school teacher. But I think it's really, it's really all the same things. Uh, maybe with the one additional element that I think if you're a mentor for someone in magic, you're also in a sense, kind of coaching them on possible, uh, you know, career choices like, sh- and, um, Okay, well, I guess I do that too as a university professor. So, never mind. Everything I said applies to both. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's no so yeah. different. Uh, I myself did not have a magic mentor growing up. So, I, I certainly had lots of math teachers that were really influential for me in school and made me want to study math. And maybe if I had had a really close magic teacher or mentor growing up, I might have, well, first of all, I certainly would have gotten a lot better a lot faster because I was really terrible when I was a teenager. I'm quite sure about that. Um, And really, it wasn't until I, I think, started getting feedback from skillful, knowledgeable magicians that I really started to see where some of my deficiencies were some of the things I needed to work on. Um, And yeah, the, the people that really made a difference in that way. Uh, the first one was, was Simon Aronson, who um, was, became a mentor to me uh, and very unfortunately passed away not too long ago.
0: I briefly pause this podcast to give a shout out to the Daily Magician Tapes collection. This is a growing collection of exclusive audio training and interviews with some of the world's best, including the magician that you're listening to right now. If you'd like to find out more about the Daily Magician tapes, head over to the DailyMagician.com slash tapes. That's the DailyMagician.com slash tapes. We'll see you there. Yeah, so could you elaborate a little bit more uh, upon that? I'm sure people will be like, I mean, he's a he's a legend within the community, of course. And mm-hmm. yeah, we are very sad to hear about his 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 quite recent passing, actually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, would you be able yeah, to elaborate about a year and a
1: half ago? Yeah. Um Yeah, well so I actually, the person who told me first uh kind of put me on to Simon Aronson was Josh Jay, who at the time was not someone I knew well, but now Josh has become another close confidant and friend and mentor. And I just spent some time with him uh, recently that was really productive. Um, but Simon, so Josh told me when I mentioned that uh, some lecture he gave that I was a mathematician asked me if I... And, and, you know, was into magic, asked me if I uh, was into Simon Aronson stuff. And I had to admit, I didn't, wasn't really familiar with it. And he said, oh, you really need to check out his work. So I did. And I mean, he was right. You know, Simon is a genius and his, it's not that his stuff is, well, some of his stuff is quite mathematical, but a lot of it's not. But he has this analytical way of thinking about magic that was totally new to me at the time. And he just breaks down a problem he wants to solve in magic. And he analyzes it like a, he was a lawyer by profession, but you know, like a a good analytical thinker would, but with a lot of creativity and and then he'll uh, just really fit everything together in a tight way, the presentation, the method. So I was really fascinated by this, read all his books and um, was brave enough to, I guess, uh, or dumb enough, I don't know, to just reach out to him directly. And I was in Chicago for a math conference and I just said, hey, would, could we get together? You don't really know me, but I'm a big fan and I'd love to meet you. And he said, sure, why don't you come over and have coffee at my place? So I wow. just went up to his apartment um, in Chicago and uh, we had coffee together and did some card tricks and struck up a friendship and then at magi fest a couple years later i ran into him and his wife Ginny, and we ended up sitting together throughout that convention and joking around a lot and we have kind of similarly um uh devious i don't know senses of humor or kind of uh we like to we just had a similar sense of humor i i don't really know how to describe it succinctly but uh we we laughed about a lot of stuff and would say sarcastic things about some of the uh, tricks that people were performing or explaining. Um, and in other cases really, you know, say wow, that was amazing. And we just had similar reactions. And so, you know, we just started corresponding and um, getting together after that. And uh, they visited Atlanta to give a performance and we had them over to our house for brunch. And um, my wife works at CNN as a television producer, and hmm. she took them on a backstage tour at CNN. And Simon and Ginny did their mentalism act for uh, some of the anchors at CNN. And Simon was wow. a big news junkie. And so he just loved that whole thing. And my wife's a good cook and they enjoyed the brunch. And so we just all became good friends. And then my wife and I visited them in Chicago and stayed with them for a few days. And and But Simon eventually became a really important um, source of feedback for me too. And I would just run ideas by him And he would just tell me point blank. He would be like, that's a really terrible idea. (laughs) Or, you know, that is not one of your better uh, routines and tell me why. And often I, sometimes I disagree with him. Often I'd see where he was coming from and it would make me work harder on it or just throw it out and try something else. And it was extremely valuable to have someone like that because no one else had ever, I had other magic friends before, some of whom were pretty knowledgeable, but no one who was just willing to tell me things bluntly like Simon was. And the culmination of his knowledge, the fact that he sessioned for 50 years with Dave Solomon and other magicians in Chicago on a weekly basis. So he could just give, he was just good at critiquing and was extremely valuable. So I miss him. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, he's really produced, I mean, some of the, my favorite work in magic as well. I know it, it, my, if my co-founder here, was Benji, if my co-founder Benji was here, he'd be, he'd be geeking out right now. Cause he's, mm. <laughs> he's an even bigger fan than I am of Simon Harrison's work. <laughs> um, I think that maybe that's actually a, a good, um, segue mm-hmm. into, uh, the memorized deck, mm-hmm. um, because for me, when I think of, uh, maths and, um, uh, <laughs> magic. Yeah. lots of amps. <laughs> when i think about math, math and magic they're kind of synonymous uh, with each other it's, it's kind of the memorized deck is kind of like the baby at least for me <laughs> those two things combined there's so much you can mm-hmm. do uh right. with math and the memorized deck um so first of all i i know that you that you use the mem deck um i've been watching your performances today <laughs> i really mm-hmm. enjoyed uh particularly um card college as you said i would um would you be able to explain for anyone that perhaps doesn't know what the memorized deck is like what it is and why it's such a powerful tool.
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, Hopefully listeners of this podcast uh, have some idea of that, but yeah, yeah, be happy to, (laughs) uh, to summarize that. Uh, and, And yeah, I was reading Simon Aronson's work that I got interested in, in the memorized deck. And, you know, it's basically this amazing tool where you have a deck that's not only stacked in, in a, an order that might you might be able to exploit for the properties of that order but you also have memorized that order and it's not enough as simon explains very well in some of his essays on the subject you know it's not enough to be able to calculate uh using some kind of calculation what card falls at a given uh position right so you really have to instantly know it um, for it to be really uh useful Mm -hmm. and so from that point of view, it's not really math, it's just memorization. But then right. what, you know, what can you do with this? Well, it's a great tool. And I did remember this is related to what I was gonna say before when I forgot, and you said we'll come back to that. And I remembered because mm, we, we were talking about, you know, motivation and and things. And and yeah, for me, one of the motivations of combining math and magic is that I'm not a great sleight of hand person, right? I mean, I can do uh almost all of the moves and um techniques that i need to to do the stuff i want to do right so i will work on something if i need it for a purpose but i don't just like geek out on sleight of hand for its own sake and learn 30 different versions of some move and just sit around all day with coins and cards you know playing around like a lot of people do i'm just not like that and my work schedule and family life and all doesn't really allow for practicing that much so that's not my strength, right? I'm not a great technique and card handler guy. So how can I be a card magician who tries to be respected and well-known in the community and give really strong, engaging performances if I don't have you know, those uh, super chops? Well, you need other things under your belt, right? So what I realized is that I do have some skills that a lot of magicians don't have. One is my ability to do quick mental calculations. Another is I have a pretty good memory when I, at least when I apply it, and, um, and uh, I'm good at um, routining things and just structuring stuff um, because of this, and problem solving, analytical problem solving of like, how do we make this effect happen given these techniques and tools that I have available? So anyway, I think Memorize Deck is perfect for all of those things I just mentioned. Uh, so it's really a way... That you can get far ahead of your audience right because they don't know that the deck is stacked at least if you know some good false shuffles and that is one of the things that you know you have to master if you're going to work in that area so that's some of the sleight of hand i do do is false cuts and false shuffles and things like that but um but, you know, once you have that at your disposal, the audience doesn't know the deck is in an order. They don't imagine anyone would ever bother going to the trouble of memorizing <laughs> yeah. a deck. And if they did go to that, if, they, if it did occur to them someone could do that, why would they do it, right? It's not at all obvious, yeah. probably even to some <laughs> listeners here, but definitely not to lay people. Like, why would you memorize a deck? What, what could you even do with that? Well, that's what Juan Temerese and Simon Aronson and, you know, many other magicians have pioneered is that there's so much you can do with this. And some of those techniques involve math because you know where every single card in the deck is. And so sometimes they'll stop you on a certain card and then you know how many more cards it is uh, to get to a, another card. Or you can combine a, a placement principle, which somehow by cutting in a couple different places and replacing the packets in a different order you know we'll put certain cards move them to other positions and if you combine that with a memorized deck there's amazing possibilities just see simon aronson's undo influence principle which is explained in the first i don't know quarter to third of his book try the impossible if you want to see how to unlock the possibilities of something like that it's super powerful
0: yeah man, you're get you're getting me excited, honestly, talking about it. Every time I talk about the memdeck, it just makes me <laughs> it makes me so excited because it's just such a fun tool. Like it's just for, for us, like I mean I, I think I, I lot most people will know this that are listening. We we all most of the products we produce are memdeck products. I mean in fact all of the, our original products are based on the memdeck. Um and it's just mm-hmm. it's just so fun. I, I I guess where it becomes really mathematical is where you add the addition of like pharaoh shuffles um mm-hmm. is where it becomes particularly interesting i mean the first time even even the fact that for those who don't, if you give like if you shuffle a deck give a deck eight pharaoh shuffles it will come back to its original order and the the, the difference yeah, with 52 cards yeah yeah <laughs> oh, it's just wait. fascinating
1: <laughs> and yeah so actually if if anyone i did it it interview before on the Insider podcast that Vanishing Inc. does. And if, if people are really want more of me after this, you can listen to that. And I talk there, I explain why eight perfect Pharaoh shuffles restores the deck to its original order. Um, maybe I won't go into that again here because we have so many <laughs> other things to talk about, but that is actually something I teach in my classes because it, it's related to the math that I, I do in my own research, which is number theory and combinatorics. And it's uh, also, so I teach a class on number theory and cryptography and it's a perfect tie-in to some of the key concepts there. So I actually demonstrate eight perfect shuffles for my class while I play the Eye of the Tiger uh, song in the background. And and then I explain why it works. And that's always a very memorable, you know, we were talking about memorable demonstrations, things that make the students like you want to be in the class, you know, remember you 10 years later. Well, that's certainly one thing you can do that students yeah. will remember you for. So, yeah.
0: whether they like it or not, they're going to remember it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so, yeah, that Faro shuffles are definitely an interesting thing. And I actually came up with something recently. I haven't put it out yet, uh, but one of these days I'll I'll rate it up in more detail. But it's a Memdeck trick that uses Faro shuffle in a in a pretty interesting way. Um, actually starts with the deck in anti-ferro order so that when you ferro it, you're back in mm-hmm. memdeck order. And some calculations work out nicely doing this that I hadn't realized before. So that's something I, I have actually been playing with lately. But another thing I really enjoy playing with, um, the trick you mentioned of mine called Card College, which is the first trick in my book uh, and is also in my Penguin lecture. It's, um, it uses a memorized deck Combined with the Gilbreth principle, which is another great math thing yeah. that I think you guys are fans of as well. Yeah, love
0: it. <laughs> Would you? I, I, I actually I don't even know if i when I so I have read like the the I, I don't know if it was Harvard that published it or not. It, it was some professor published. It might have been you. I don't know. Someone published a whole essay explaining like why the Gilbreth principle works, and mm-hmm. it was the most highbrow, <laughs> like hard to read thing that i think i've ever read um Uh, but really interesting um well could you explain a little bit of like how it actually works Uh, i I guess people are probably like what the (laughs) gilbert principle?" maybe maybe we should give them a bit of context
1: (laughs) um i'll tell you what i mean again we could try to do this but i I have another solution which is so one of my projects during covid I, i was actually pretty busy during covid uh with work and family stuff because um my, my job as an associate dean got pretty hectic uh, right. with all the change of teaching modes and all of that. And then uh, family life with three kids is always uh, was challenging. I think anyone who had kids during the pandemic right. knows um, about that. So but I did have um, some chances to focus on other things in magic, you know, just because I um, wasn't performing uh, at all. I didn't never really got into the Zoom show thing. So I. Um, I started a blog with Vanishing Inc. on mathematical magic tricks, and mm. it's called Mathemagical Themas. You can search for that and my name and Vanishing Ink blog, and you'll find it or just go to their webpage and search for blogs. But I did a whole blog post on the Gilbert principle, mm-hmm. and I not only you know say what it is, but I also explain why it works and teach a couple of uh, tricks that use it. Um, including an original poker effect. So that's yeah. what I would recommend everyone do if they really want to... That's a great uh, idea. No, I, I, wish, I wish I'd
0: found that when I was trying to figure it out because the essay <laughs> that I read was really confusing.
1: <laughs> I, I did have someone... Actually, a couple of people email me after that was posted and said, this is the first time I've understood <laughs> yeah. why the Goldbirth Principle works. So let me know. Ch- check it out and let me know if that uh, helps. Okay. Uh, you understand it.
0: I will. Okay, so I guess yeah going going a little bit deeper so uh, this is just a really random question but it's something mm-hmm. i wrote down from where, where, we actually had a, a call before this for everyone listening so we, there were a few questions i was able to to formulate before which is maybe why this seems a little bit uh not very succinct um but i'm interested so we talked about kind of like using a marked memorized deck
1: oh yeah uh, great right.
0: yeah well, and i know that the a lot of memdeck users or don't advocate that yeah. Um, I just kind of wanted to get, yeah, what what are, what are your thoughts on using a, a marked memorized deck?
1: Yeah, right. I, I think that's an interesting question. Uh, so Simon Aronson, who I mentioned um, already, was not a fan of using marked cards. Uh, mm. I did not really buy his reasoning for that though, which is somehow that um, if it's not, He's he never found it was necessary. He said he didn't he had nothing against mark cards, but Mm. he never found a memdeck effect where they were really necessary. And so and he thought that just as a creator, as a constructor of of routines, it's actually a hindrance because it makes things too easy. (laughs) You know, you can there's a lot of things you can do where you don't have to really use even a memorized deck or you know, so if, if your goal is to come up with strong routines using certain tools then having a mark deck available uh, right. spoils that. Uh, he might have objected to the way I just characterized his opinion, but that's the way <laughs> I understood it. And I never really bought into that because for me, in the end, it's all about impact of the effect. And so I don't buy that. Now, Juan Tamariz, who I also I studied with uh, in Spain at at some point, and we can talk about that if, if you want, but yeah. um, he also doesn't use marked um, cards. And his reason is a bit different. He's very well-known and, you know, does perform a lot in the real world, makes his living doing magic, Un- unlike Simon, who, like me, was was an uh, amateur, but a, you know, dedicated amateur magician. And I think Juan just doesn't want to be associated with marked cards because it would... Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons anyway. You know, he just doesn't... right. He, it would ruin the miraculous reputation that he has in in some way in in his mind i think um so i get that uh but that doesn't apply to me or to most people i think other magicians that i you know am close to and have learned a lot from like um josh j um uh uses a mark deck um all the time and with memorized deck and has some really great work combining the two and Totally unapologetic about it. And um, you know, several other um uh, really good magicians uh have no problem with that at all and do combine them. And for me, what it's really good for is just taking away all of those telltale signs of peaking, right? The a lot of memdeck work involves estimation where
0: right.
1: you cut it and then you have to glimpse a card and um so that you know where in the stack you are and so that you can then get a certain card to a position you need. And, you know, that's just so much cleaner uh, if you never have to glimpse the faces of any cards. And some people imagine that spectators don't notice that, but I think that's totally wrong. I think people do. Okay. I mean, if you're really, really, really good, you can glimpse right. stuff all yeah. over the place and no one will ever know, but I think that's very difficult. And so that's one day that one way in which a mark deck um, helps. It also helps for things like the trick that cannot be explained. You know, if you want to do a.
0: Yeah. That's my favorite um, combination. So yeah,
1: Yeah. you you have, you know, there's just so much you can do where it's completely hands off and you know exactly where the the spectator has cut to without even touching the cards. Right. I think it's just really powerful. Michael Close has some really good work on jazzing with a memorized deck and you know he um is fully cognizant of the benefits of using marked cards but also talks about ways of getting glimpses that are that are clever and subtle
0: so i guess in in your opinion is that kind of your view then it's just kind of like i guess kind of like the old (laughs) diver adage of like effect over method like because as far as like i know other people Like, for instance, Benji is against using, no, I don't know if he's against, it's just more as my co-founder who I do a lot of memdeck work with. He just, he doesn't particularly like using like crimps or Mm. anything
1: like that. Um, I I love crimps. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, no, I get it. And um, so here's my view on this, right? I think that each magician is different and each performing situation is different, and one needs to be flexible. So, what I try to do in my book, all the routines, all the mem deck routines, uh, I think have some option that's described in the book where of how a mark deck can make them stronger and cleaner. Right. But none of them require a mark deck, and that's how I tend to perform. Is that I don't like building it into the method like there's, you know, you have no other option. Cause I mean, what if someone hands you a deck of cards and wants you to perform with it, or you're in a low lighting situation, which has definitely happened to me. My eyes are not that great anymore. And, um, you know, I wear reading glasses and I, I can't always see the marks if I'm in a bad lighting situation. Um, and same, you know, with crimps, uh, I use breather crimps all the time, but I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, your crimp's not working, or you know, it's uh, outdoors right. in a humid <laughs> environment, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, so, or you have an old ratty deck of cards that you just have to use, and everything is crimped. Um, so I mean, you just have to be prepared for those situations. I, I think if you rely on those things exclusively to make an effect happen, it's a bit dangerous. Um, but to use them as, uh, Additional tools to make things cleaner or as a backup if you mess up and you always know that you can get out of a situation because, right, you you have sort of a built-in effect if you know what card something is, even if it's the wrong card. Um, Or you can tell that you have the wrong card before you embarrass yourself and reveal it. So there's just so many ways in which it makes magic cleaner and stronger, I think, that um, I advocate it. But I get that some people don't want to use it, and uh, that's fine.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's, yeah, I guess it's all like preference, right? <laughs> Especially when it's like amateur, I guess when it's like amateur performances, right? It's kind of just like, well, what do you enjoy? You know, I guess you can maybe make the argument if it's, like you said, like, it makes sense maybe perhaps for for certain time where not, his Mark Deck because he cares about his reputation, like his his make, reputation in the magic world. And also, perhaps that would undermine it in some way and people have different views. But I guess, like you said, like, yeah, it's,
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's fine, you know, far from it, far be it for me to tell Juan or find (laughs) what to do. Um, (laughs) It's just, you know, it's just that I think some people have the wrong reasons for not wanting to use these things because they have some idea of purity of method in mind. And I think, uh, well, again, if you're a great creator and purity of method is important to you because you're going to be releasing material and you want it to be, you know adhere yeah. to certain principles, that's fine. But if you're just doing magic for laypeople and you refuse to use certain tools just on principle, I don't really get that. Because, I mean, what are we doing anyway? I mean, we're deceiving people. Yeah. We're holding secret breaks and we're um, you know, often using other gimmicks of other kinds. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't really get the pure sleight of hand thing, except as a practical matter. Sure. I mean, if you want to be able to do magic in, in your bathing suit with borrowed objects. And, you know, it's great to develop uh, <laughs> methods, yeah. but I mean, it just depends where you're working. That's why I said the context is so important. So, you yeah. know, I think if you're doing like a parlor show though, or yeah, any kind of formal show um, paid gigs where you're, you know, I, then I just don't get it. Like, why would you not use whatever tool would strengthen the magic? And what, right. what is the purity of the method? have anything to do with um, connecting with people in that situation.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like something that Pit Hartling said Mm -hmm. talking about the mem deck (laughs) where like he just like he hit like a certain point where he like he pick up a deck of cards that wasn't in stack and he's like, wait, like what do I do? And then that's when he realized, oh, maybe I should like, (laughs) you know not be completely focused on this tool so yeah i don't know it's it's interesting i guess it's all just like personal preference right
1: that's right and memdeck is another good example of that where it's a tool and i love using it you you do too and uh, i almost always have a deck stacked in memdeck order with me if i know i'm going to be performing magic somewhere but but you know things happen i mean you don't have that on you or it gets shuffled or either because you (laughs) You accidentally lose the stack or a spectator wants to shuffle, or you just have a really strong trick that right. destroys the stack, and then you want to do more and and or just yeah for any number of reasons it's of course you can 't rely on that exclusively if you have a shuffle deck and you 're a magi- a card magician, and someone says, "Do a card trick, and you 're like i can 't because it 's not in my stack uh, that's not that 's not so <laughs> so good um, so you have to be able to do. Stuff with a shuffle deck, of course, and I've actually been trying to learn, master, and and create more routines lately with a shuffle deck in use, just because I think I have overly relied on stacks. And in my book, my book's pretty stack heavy, mm-hmm. and so I do want to um, offer more material that people who don't do a lot of stack work can can use. Um, so for whatever my next, you know, projects are. There will right. be more more of the impromptu stuff but hopefully more Memdeck stuff too because i love it yeah well cool
0: um i i actually would like to ask you a question that i am interested by um i've watched a lot well I, w- one thing that came you you sent me over um the i think it was your murphy's magic lecture that you did right mm-hmm. um and i was i i i, I loved the the variety in your performances. Um, and the fact that you had, (laughs) I don't know, like coins to cards, to M and M's. And I loved, (laughs) I love like that creativity and that that feeling of like thinking outside of the box. Um, so I'm interested, I I feel like sometimes mathematicians are going to be painted as people that don't think outside the box. Mm. So where does your creative process begin and how do you create original magic?
1: Mm yeah well, as I said earlier, I think that perception is is really wrong. Um, I think mm-hmm. mathematicians are actually really good at thinking outside the box
0: right because,
1: um, We have a set of tools i mean the thing is in 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 math, you can't um uh, how do I say it I mean you do have to follow certain rules of logic right you can't just make up your own <laughs> rules of logic yeah. but but you do get to make up uh the axioms you're assuming and the way you put different ingredients together and you can come up with new concepts and give them interesting names and then try to see what's true or not true about those things through experimentation so i think it's actually great preparation for being a magic creator um, to go through the process of learning how to say do a mathematical proof and come up with a new proof of something Uh, but anyway without getting back into all the math stuff I mean what is my process for magic I think it's like anyone it's a mixture of things so I try to first of all I don't just focus on magic all the time um obviously I have all the other stuff I've mentioned but I also mm-hmm. I I I read a lot of books and you know watch um TV series and listen to music and um, go to art galleries and travel around the world, and do you know, uh, watch sports, and I do things that um, connect to people's lives in other ways. And I try to find ways to bring my knowledge of those, you know, subjects and things I find interesting into the presentations for my my tricks. And then, you know, in terms of methods, I think. It's uh partly just a matter of reading a lot uh, and watching good magic performers. so I read a lot of magic books and magazines and watch videos of people and meet up with other magicians and I think that uh, often you know you'll just see a method that maybe in one context doesn't speak to you but you make a mental note like oh, that's actually a pretty clever idea. I wasn't crazy about that trick but that could be useful somewhere and you for me i have to actually write it down you know i i keep notebooks and uh because i forget stuff all the time but um i go back and and try to find old ideas and and then i just try to inject variety i guess is the main thing so um i will watch um a video of a stage magician you know or watch an episode of fool us and then uh, with different kinds of magic. And then I'll go and think about a mathematical principle. And sometimes just something connects where you're like, oh, this math principle this is actually the way that trick came about with the M&Ms that you were talking about. That's in my, my Murphy's lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, I just realized at some point that you didn't have to do it. It was basically a card trick. It's an old math principle used for card tricks. But I realized that you don't have to use cards for it. You can use like anything that has different colors, let's say, you know, any objects that have uh, like red and black cards. But uh, so I I first did it with coins um, of different denominations and then realized that M&M's was a great way uh, to do it. And so I even teach in that Murphy's lecture how to gimmick and m M&M, um, and <laughs> uh <laughs> Next <laughs> uh, to so that you know how many MMs are inside before you start the trick. And you know, but that's just all comes from um uh from just trying to think more expansively, like why does this have to be a card trick? Could this math principle be used for something else? Um, how far can we push it? And uh yeah, so it's not rocket science. You just have to be willing to play and spend time on stuff that you don't know that it's gonna work out. Um so think i just have a tolerance for um kind of messing around with stuff that's more than what most people have they you know some people would give up and i keep at something until it i get what i want out of it
0: Hmm. i like that i love how you talked about the fact that you just kind of um explore life (laughs) and then bring those principles in like i love how you talked about just like traveling and um Just We're, going to art galleries because yeah. I don't think
1: it's, so. You can please elaborate. Oh no, I, I was just say. I mean, I think part part of all of this is just being a curious person, right? I think yeah. it makes you so much more interesting to your audience if you have some depth and variety to you and are interested in different things and bring that in. And um, you know, it's just it's not good to be a one dimensional person. Um, so I think it's just helps. To be likable as a magician but it also helps in creating um because you're not just getting you know i think it's really hard if you just study um you know i mean vernon we all worship di vernon but i mean if all i did was kind of you know read di vernon and work on his tricks um it would be hard for me to be contribute something new that di vernon hadn't already thought of right um so it's good to study and know about Divernon, but also lots of other great magicians and not all close-up magicians, right? But other other kinds as well, mentalists and other stage magicians, comedy magicians.
0: Yeah, it's kind of uh, the epitome of everything that we're trying to <laughs> do at the Daily Magician. <laughs> so
1: mm, it's this yeah, nice day yeah. say, like- like your philosophy, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it's just like, like you said, like this in- inherent curiosity, right? Where you, you hear somebody, you hear something, but you don't just hear it, you you seek it, you know? It's like, I don't know what that means. I don't know, for instance, like right now, I'm really trying to exercise that muscle, like I said, in in, in maths, so this is really good timing for me,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> where it's just like, you know, this is something that I've put to the side that, you know, if I was truly trying to be curious about everything, I, I wouldn't, you know? And so yeah i really like that i think it's a really important thing and i like what you said as well where it just kind of it's kind of like tim tim ferris kind of talks about this in his book a little bit the four-hour work week um of Mm -hmm. just like letting time
1: breaks and yeah letting like the mm -hmm.
0: subconscious create almost
1: yeah yeah that that is definitely a big part of it too is uh letting the subconscious do its work. And it's so mysterious, right? Um, I I don't know how my, I don't know how I come up with a lot of the stuff in math and magic that I come up with. Um, And i have done some songwriting in the past as well. And I used to write poems when I was in high school and college. And I just think you have to try different things and learn how you get inspiration. And a lot of it is just playfulness. Um, Allowing yourself to your mind to explore what it wants to explore and go where it wants to go and uh for me it's even about like biorhythms I mean I know it's been hard since I had kids, and now my daughter's seventeen and uh, my youngest mm. is five so i have had a, a range of kids, and yeah it's changed my sleep schedule a lot right so i I know get up at like six thirty in the morning every day and i I really am more creative at night it's just Thing I've learned about myself, so I can't stay up too late anymore because then I'm a zombie when I have to wake up with my kids. But on the other hand, I know I'm more creative at night, so I've had to find ways of uh, of balancing that out. And um, you know, I have my ways now that I, I try to sometimes take some time at night to uh, to create because I, I know that's better. So on weekends, I'll sometimes stay up late and just pay a price later for being tired, but it's mm. worth it. Cause I, if I have a really good idea, I know that's when I have to write it down and try to work some things out. My wife thinks I'm insane when I do that, but you know. <laughs> what creative people have to do. Yeah.
0: So tell me, um, yeah. In that vein of, of learning from different sources mm-hmm. and this continuous process of, uh, inherent cur- curiosity, I suppose, um, what what are you reading right now what, what are the books that you're reading right now what are you studying and what, what interests you at the moment
1: so magic books or non-magic books
0: yeah both anything anything that you find interesting right now
1: okay well let's see i um lately uh i just finished reading um one of the two volumes of the johnny thompson books mm. um magicana put out and which is uh, some really great stuff in there um i read the new book by andy the jerks um a couple months ago which was really interesting mm-hmm. uh i love his his thinking um i josh J has a new book coming out at some point um on memorized deck which uh yeah. i can't say yeah i mean he's let it be known that it's coming uh i've read a advanced copy of that that he gave me and that was really stimulating. Um, a little bit jealous, a little bit jealous. Of yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> trying to <laughs> brag, but just... Uh, just really, the truth. The <laughs> really amazing thing I read recently. Um, yeah. and we'll we'll all enjoy it whenever it... I don't know when it's coming out. Um, you know, I read Doug Diamond's Calculated Thoughts, which has some really interesting math kind of and stack work stuff in it. Um, and then in terms of... And then I also read some stuff that's like, Pseudo magic. So, like, I read Derek delgadio's *A Moral Man*, uh, which is a memoir. I thought mm. it was really excellent. um Nate Staniforth's *Here Is Real Magic* is another really good memoir. uh And then, in terms of like non-magic books, I've always I read a lot of non-fiction. I used to read a lot of fiction. Um, yeah, I swapped as well. <laughs> mostly non-fiction, to be honest. So, I don't know. I've been reading. There's a book about probability for the um, general public called 10 Great Ideas About Chance by Percy Diaconis, who's another friend and something of a mentor to me, um, and and another guy whose name I forget. Um, There's a book called The Book of Why by Judea Pearl, which is pretty hardcore. If you're not into math or computer science, I don't necessarily recommend it, but Mm -hmm. it's about the science of causality. Like, How do we know what causes something else and we all know that correlation is not the same as causation right so just because two things are correlated in some way doesn't mean one causes the other but you can actually prove mathematically or at least gain statistical evidence for the fact that a actually causes b is not just correlated with it and judea pearl talks about this and how important this these ideas are in artificial intelligence among other things because uh, that's one of the areas ai has lagged is in like knowing um about causation uh it's just another layer of intelligence that computers are starting to possess that they didn't have before um but i also i read a biography of john conway the mathematician uh it's called genius at play i read that cuz he actually died of covid last year and i was asked by science magazine to write an obituary for him and oh, wow. so i read a lot about him yeah. including um yeah, reading his biography, which I thought was really good. Um, so that's the kind of stuff. Uh, but I've also been reading in for my job um, as an associate dean. I've been in charge of some of our diversity efforts um, in the College of Sciences. And so I've been trying to educate myself on um, some of the, the history of uh, racial injustice and such things that I don't mm-hmm. know as much about as I should. And so I read a memoir by ta Coates called Between the World and Me and a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi and so as I said I read a lot of different things and I try to just keep all these um, ideas in my mind for different purposes.
0: I love that that's uh that's quite the reading list um it's it's fun because I try and set myself the goal of reading like two or three books a week um, cause right now I have mm. the time to do it and the time to self-educate. Um, so yeah, it's always, I, as soon as you start seeing book tiles, I'm just like scrambling <laughs> to put up a pad and write, write them down. Cause it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah,
1: um, those, those are some good ones.
0: Yeah. Would, would you be able to elaborate a little bit more on the, the diversity thing? I, I think it's a pretty poignant topic as a, as of right now.
1: Yeah, it is certainly. Um, uh, and yeah, it's um. So it's a it's a difficult topic that is hard to talk about sometimes, right? Because especially mm-hmm. I don't know middle aged white men like me, sometimes feel a bit uh, uh, afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so what I'm learning is just like with magic, how you have to just start performing, right, to get over your fears and to get better. You just have to perform. I think to. Um, really understand issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, you just have to kind of dive into it and actually educate yourself and have difficult conversations with people. And I just think it makes me a better advocate for issues that I know are important and um, that I was often too quiet about um, and took comfort in my position of, of privilege. So I do think this is important in magic, in the world of magic, and I'll just give my spiel here and the people that don't like this can turn off the podcast now. But, um, you know, I think we, the magic community is not inclusive enough um, for women and underrepresented minorities in particular, um, but all, all kinds of inclusion. But, you know, we have subtle ways in which we uh reinforce the sort of old boys network. And one of those, the one uh, maybe I'll point out that everyone listening to this can do something about if they choose to is I think many magicians talk about the guys, you know, they'll say, Oh, the guys are sessioning yesterday and you know, Oh, that, that guy was blah, blah, blah. Okay. If it is a guy, you can say that guy, but referring collectively to, you know, Oh, uh, card guys usually say you know usually believe this so why do we call them card guys that how would you feel if you were a young female magician without a lot of right i mean there's not a lot of uh, card expert card magicians who are well known there are certainly some some really great ones but it's relatively few and how would you feel if you were a young woman really interested in magic, but don't have a lot of role models, and you go to a convention and you hear everyone talking about card magicians being synonymous with guys. So we can all just stop using that kind of language, and I think magic would be better for it. And also clearly inviting more women and uh, underrepresented minorities to to have public um, performance opportunities where they can serve as role models and get Younger people excited and think, "Oh, I can do this! It's not just for white people." Um, you know, guys from um, Mexico or Latin America or Africa or Asia can be amazing magicians too. And here's a role model. Here's someone I can identify with that that proves it that that this is possible. And I just think that idea of a role model is so important and so easy to forget when you're a middle-aged white male like myself who has lots of similar people who have gotten into card magic. So finding people that I can relate to has never been in, in magic has never been a problem for me, but it is a problem for others. I
0: think that's a really interesting point. Um, and I think it's really important as well. Like, I think it's, it really does start, a lot of this stuff really does start as simply as that, right? <laughs> it's not like the hugest change. It's not like the biggest thing that's going to affect our our lives dramatically, but just making like a small change like that, uh, can allow, yeah, it's, it's easy for us to do and can have a big impact. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's plenty of large systemic problems that I don't right. have a good prescription <laughs> for how to fix. Right. I mean, I don't know how to fix the U S, uh, uh, prison system yeah. and, and uh, you know, jury system and uh, 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 wealth inequality and all these things. I, I don't have the answers to that. Um, and in magic, you know, there, there are some, some systemic problems that, that are harder um, to deal with, I think. But let's all just do what we can. We don't all have to tackle the biggest problems in the world. We, we can just make others feel more welcome And you never know when one, this is something I've learned as a teacher, You never know when one little comment can either inspire someone to do something, you know, for the rest of their lives that will impact the rest of their life because you inspired them with just one word of kindness or encouragement or one cool idea that you mentioned. And it can work the other way as well. You say something that feels exclusive or dismissive and it can make someone give up on themselves and not become a a mathematician or a scientist or a magician or whatever, because they feel like they don't belong in that world. And we can all, um, try to be the better angels of ourselves in in that regard.
0: Well, I think it's very well said. If I were to add anything, it would just be, (laughs) (laughs) just be words. So thank you. I appreciate you pointing that out, Matt. And I think it's, uh, it's brave to bring up that subject as well and uh, and I appreciate you you doing it um well, I don't want to take too much more of your evening. there's a lot more that we could discuss, but perhaps maybe a a sequel podcast <laughs> or reading through your 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 um blogs we'll have to do for now um but I really appreciate your time um I really appreciate how candid you've been um I appreciate everything that you shared i think it's been it's been yeah it's been it's been it's been, it's been, it's been a great conversation for me. Um, so I, I hope people that are listening are have, have benefited in the same way.
1: <laughs> me too, Jacob. Yeah, I, I hope the people listening are <laughs> also enjoying. But uh, but yeah, it's been a nice conversation, and uh, thanks so much for Thank you. inviting me on. Um,
0: as always, uh, I'd love to give you the opportunity to to shout out your own stuff. Um, if people are interested in in what you've had to say, um, obviously we shouted out a few blog posts already, and and your book, of course. But where can they go if they they want to hear more from you, and where should they look? coming going forwards uh, for for your new project.
1: Uh yeah, so um I I have a website which is www.mattbakermagic.com and you can find you can order my book there. It's it's still on sale. I had meant to take down the sale a while ago and <laughs> never got around to it, so <laughs> uh, it's still actually available for less than you'll find it in other places uh, until I decide to change that. Um I think Stupidly, I never put a link to my Vanishing Ink blog there, but I, I mentioned that um, it's called Mathematical Themas, T H E M A S. And so you can Google that and find it. Uh, and I'm on Facebook, but I'm not on um, Instagram or any of the other, or Twitter. So um, the website and email is best way to contact me. And uh, it's mbakermagic at gmail.com if you want to send me a a note and say hi. And in terms of upcoming projects, yeah, I, I don't know. Um I'm giving a lecture at the Atlanta Harvest of Magic which is coming up in um November I think, uh which Ken Scott runs and I'll I'll be lecturing there. I'm trying to come up with a new a brand new lecture for that that's different from the lecture I was giving a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Um so that and a and a secret book project I'm working on right now with uh, josh j and andy gladwin that i won't say any more about is the other thing you might mm. be seeing from me in the like
0: in the future nice
1: um and i'm i'm trying to develop a parlor show as well which is what i was interested in right before the pandemic hit and then i was like uh i don't think <laughs> this is the best time to be <laughs> getting into parlor magic so um i'm uh i'm gonna try to get back into that soon as well uh, i had some interesting ideas that I wanted to okay Oh, perfect
0: like I said, thank you so much, Matt. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll, we'll end out the My podcast pleasure. here.